Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka. Happy holidays and welcome to episode 103 of ADHD for Smartass Women. This episode is brought to you by AOK Every Day, my new unplanning system for planning success. It is for those of us who've always struggled with planners. We use them for a week, maybe a month, and then all of a sudden we forget we even have a planner. You know the drill, right? So if you can relate, join me at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash unplanner. Okay, so I am so delighted to bring you this episode with the incomparable, funny as hell, Stacy Michelle. Stacy is a multi-hyphenate doer of things. She is a sketch writer, performer, producer, comedian, and former broadcast news reporter and anchor. Her credits include on-air contributor and writer for TMZ, commercials, television, and film roles. She is also a live studio audience warm-up comic in Los Angeles, most recently for the late night show, A Little Late with Lily Singh. But the biggest reason that Stacy really needs to be here with us today is her YouTube show. She created it to raise awareness in Black women and women of color about ADHD And damn, if she doesn't do it with humor, it is called ADHD is the New Black. Stacey, welcome. Did I get all that right? You got it to a T, Tracy. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. So I just want to tell a little bit of background. I was in New York City for a month. Background as far as how I met Stacey, although I'm not sure the background even says that. But anyway, I was in New York City for a month quarantining with my son, who was starting his freshman year at NYU. And I remember the first day our quarantine was over, we were going to go out to eat. And we were traipsing around, I can't remember what neighborhood. And somehow I ended up on a call with you, Stacey. So I'm walking around New York trying to get to this specific restaurant, like chasing my kids. And I would lose them because I would so be so engrossed in our conversation. And I've got you in my ear probably for 45 minutes. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I could talk to this woman forever. I love her. 
Do you remember that conversation? I absolutely do. And I was so jealous that you were in Manhattan. I love New York City. I lived there for nearly nine years and I miss it with all my heart. Yeah, I know, especially now, right? I mean, one of the things that I noticed in New York is everything was open. You know, granted, you had to wear the mask and they had a certain capacity, but there just seemed to be this vibrancy that in Northern California, I'm not seeing at all. Mm-hmm. So right. somehow I think they figured it out better than better than the rest of us as far as cities. So <laughs> I want to hear all about ADHD as the new black and everything that you're doing. But before we go there, can we talk about ADHD first? Oh, absolutely. Is that what we're talking about today? Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> So when were you diagnosed? Like, what was the circumstances around it? Okay. What were? Well, I have two diagnoses stories. I have my initial diagnosis, which I ignored, and then my reacquaintance which my, with my diagnosis. My initial diagnosis happened in my early 20s, and it happened because I was having trouble at work. I had just started out in my career as a broadcast news reporter in a Midwestern market. And I was having so many trouble with details that I had never noticed were an issue until I'm in the workplace and other people are like having to pick up the slack behind me and not liking it on things that were considered easy, (laughs) quote unquote, easy. And I was getting really depressed because Tracy, I was getting yelled at like every day. What were the kinds of things that you were struggling with? Well, in when you're a TV news reporter, I think it's the same now because I'm not in it now, but there are certain details outside of the getting in front of the camera and talking, which I'm really good at, and which I started out out of the gate being really good at. There are other things that you have to turn in in order for the people above you in the control room or the producers to know how long your story is, you know, your, your story you've prepared out in the field, whomever you've interviewed that day, so they know how much time to slot it in the newscast because there are other considerations. There's commercials, there's other reporter stories. And so I was forgetting to turn in little details like how long my story ran, my NQ, my OutQ. And this was like, they gave me a lot of grace when I first started because they were probably thinking, oh, well, she's learning. Well, six months in, 10 months in, I was really inconsistent about turning those things in. And not because I was being defiant, it's just, I would forget to do it, you know? And my news director called me into his office one day and he was just like baffled. He's like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on with you. I don't get you. He's like, you can do the hardest stuff. You can go live. You can do flawless live shots. You do all the hard stuff all day, but the easiest stuff you dropped the ball on and he was just like perplexed. And I'm like, I don't know either. <laughs> so I was not making friends. I was not making friends because there were so many people, you know, above me up the chain on the production side who were having to pick up the slack. And I'm starting to feel really bad about myself, you know, like maybe I'm in the wrong profession or I was just getting depressed, like more and more depressed. And so I decided I would take advantage of those 12 sessions with a therapist that my insurance at the time paid for. And so I went to see a psychiatrist. I remember her. She was such a down-to-earth lady. She kind of reminded me of Patty Duke. And by the third session, she suggested to me, have you ever considered ADHD? And, or it was ADD at the time. This was like in the early 90s, mid 90s. And I was like, ah, like that little white boy's disease? (laughs) That's all I knew about it. She was a psychiatrist because I think that's 
like the 90s, the early 90s was when they first said, you can be an adult and have ADHD. I believe that. Yeah. 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 This was 95, I believe. 1995. Good Lord. Did I just give away my age? And I was 12 at the time. (laughs) I was only 12. And, (laughs) and so we didn't, to my recollection, Tracy, we didn't talk about it that much. So I didn't leave her office with a full understanding about ADD, but she prescribed Ritalin to me. And I just remember thinking, oh, I've got some magic pills. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything's going to be all right. And I took the medication the way she prescribed it and nothing changed. Not a thing changed. And There weren't even negative I, symptoms? No, no negative symptoms. Just nothing, nothing. I thought like my whole like everything I was getting yelled at about, I thought that would change. Mm. It didn't. <laughs> and so my news director was still frustrated with me. And I was like, um, I, I have ADD. And he was just like, oh, 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 okay. Oh. <laughs> and so he backed off. And I was like, well, that's all I had to say, you know? <laughs> but I just remember thinking, these pills aren't doing anything for me. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still, you know, me. I just didn't have an understanding what the medication does and does not do. And so I assumed that because I wasn't seeing any changes, oh, I guess I don't have ADD. And so I just literally forgot about it. I just like took that away somewhere in the back of my brain and just kept living life for the next, you know, 20 years or so, just not even considering that ADHD was responsible for pretty much every repetitive issue I kept encountering, no matter what job, no matter what city, no matter what circumstances. You know, like I always had the answer in my brain, but I just forgot. Like how ADHD is that? You just forget you have ADHD, right? (laughs) If you knew, Stacey, how many people tell me that they were diagnosed either in their teens or their 20s, and then they literally forgot about it until it was brought up 10 or 20 years later. I hear it all the time. Is that right? Well, I'm glad I'm not alone with that. (laughs) But let, let me tell you. It did not forget about Stacy because it was like just repeat, repeat, repeat. You know, every every job, every circumstance, I was having the same challenges with the same types of things. Were you able, over time? Did you build workarounds so that you could at least function in these jobs? Or oh yeah, I'm sure I did. And some jobs I actually had like allies. Like um, when I went to my second news market, my executive producer had been a lower level producer at my first job and he was there for my ADHD diagnosis. So he understood. So he always had my back at the second market. I was like, I just stopped being yelled at in the second market. And I was like, oh, I must be okay. And turns out he was always crossing my T's and dotting my I's. And, you know, he'd quietly come to me. Hey, what's your outcome? You know, like he he just didn't make a big deal about it. So <laughs> so I was able to really thrive there thinking, oh, well, I must be okay now because I had somebody watching my back and I didn't realize he was watching my back. Is, you know what I'm saying? That is the perfect example of obviously you are so gifted at what you do. And if you're in the right environment with people that love and appreciate you just the way you are, that you can actually be quite successful. Yeah. Well, then he moved on to another market. (laughs) And that was when the problems there started. Uh 
And it was like kind of like a bomb dropped. It was like, why, why are you all of a sudden making these mistakes? You know, so it was like, oh, man. <laughs> so fast forward to two years ago, almost two years ago, and I was seeing a therapist again because I was I've been in and out of depression, like literally my whole adult life. And I, it would be severe sometimes, it would be mild sometimes. But I was misdiagnosed over the years with being bipolar or having a histrionic personality disorder. <laughs> Just it's like oh, oh. they would only prescribe or, you know, tell women they have. I know. <laughs> and I was like thinking all these years for the last 10 years or so that, oh my gosh, I there's something wrong with me. There really is something wrong with me. And I didn't have anything to like prove me otherwise because, you know, if I look behind me, then there's the collateral damage, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like being fired from practically every job I've had or almost fired, mm-hmm. except for the ones that played into my strengths, you know? And with my news jobs, the only thing that really saved me on those jobs is that they put up with me because I'm so good on air, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was really tough because I didn't have many friends in the newsroom because it was just like, I was the problem child, you know? <laughs> so, Stacy, because I would think you know, I look at these reporters, especially like the ones that go on all these scary assignments. And I think, oh my God, they're, they're ADHD. They have to be ADHD to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you didn't oh, see a lot of I people was, that you oh, with peers that were just like you? I'm sure they were, but I mean, I don't, if they had problems, they never talked about them and nobody it seemed was getting yelled at or approached or scolded as much as I was, it seemed. You know, like openly, maybe they were getting scolded, but maybe it was more like, you know, a private thing. Well, there's somebody to the side with me. It was always like, Stacy! <laughs> so I always thought it was just me, you know? So yeah, so about almost two years ago, yeah, no, two years ago, I was really like feeling, feeling like I had nowhere left to go. You know, like I was not in my mind living up to the potential that I knew I had, you know, like all my life since I was a kid, I'm like, I knew I was going to be somebody. I was going to be special or I am special. I'm just not just almost coming so close so many times and then doing something that I felt like was, would sabotage myself. And I know it would, but I had all these different ideas about why I was so self-sabotaging, you know, like, Oh, I'm just afraid of success or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, this must be it, or I must be afraid of stability. And I couldn't come up with any other explanation for why I would get so close so many times to breaking through or literally being famous. Like I've come so close to like, just like, boom, wow. And here she is (laughs) the whole world. And I would just like, just sabotage the shit out of it. And I would just be like, I don't even know why I did that. And so I felt like I was out of runway, to be honest, because I was divorced now. This was two years ago. And my ex and I, I believe, looking back, that he probably had undiagnosed ADHD. And we would just like, just could not 
understand each other whatsoever. And he would do things to help me, like, because I would always, like, leave something. And I, every time I left the apartment, I was always coming back in, like, three minutes later. Oh, I forgot this. And then three minutes later, oh, I forgot my phone. <laughs> three minutes later, oh, I forgot. And then, I, and then I'm running late, you know? <laughs> so he got to the point where before I walked out of the door, you got your keys, you got your phone, you got your thing, you got this, you got that. <laughs> but, you know, I... I'm like, I'm a grown up. Why can't I do these things on my own? (laughs) And so I was talking to my therapist and she didn't know, like, she was working on the emotional side of what I perceived were my problems. And I just got to the point, Tracy, where I felt like, you know, I can understand why people would take themselves out of this world. That's how depressed I was, you know? That's okay. That's okay. And I was on antidepressants at that time. <laughs> and I still am. But I was still, and then I didn't have a plan. I wasn't going to do it because of my spiritual beliefs, you know, my religious beliefs, I would never do that to myself. But I understood why people would want to, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember, and the, uh, people think I'm exaggerating or like making it, you know, more sugary because it's a good story. <laughs> but this is honest to God truth. This is what happened. I go hiking at Runyon Canyon pretty much every day. I was like, started hiking at Runyon like two years ago because of a boy. (laughs) (laughs) Because he hiked Runyon. So I started hiking Runyon. And then when he and I stopped seeing each other, I'd still hike Runyon because I knew he was going there. And then after a while, I'd get such a big dopamine rush when I'd see him like, oh, there he was. And then like after a while, he was like, oh my God, you're stalking me. (laughs) And so (laughs) it was a habit by then. So I kept going to Runyon, whether I'd see him or not. So that's what came out of that. But anyway, I remember being up in Runyon one morning, really early watching the sun come up or it was, you know, very early. And I just started praying to God because I didn't know what else to do. And I was like, I had this, I had this general idea that I needed more discipline in my life, that I needed some kind of tools to help me, you know, stay on track, stay scheduled, keep up with time. I had all these general ideas of what my problems were. I just didn't have anything to call it at that time. Mind you, I've already had an ADHD diagnosis, which wasn't even coming into play because I didn't know enough about it. And so I, I said, God, please just show me a toolbox with my name on it, with some tools in it that will help me in the way that I need to be helped. And I mean, I have never been so desperate in a prayer for myself. And so, Tracy... I'm not exaggerating. People think I am, but God answers prayers. And this isn't how I know. That evening, I am flipping through Netflix and I come across the Ted Bundy documentary. (laughs) Okay. You're like, where is this going? Trust me. Like every, it's all connected. (laughs) It's all connected. Trust me. And so I'm like, he's a good looking dude. What was his problem? (laughs) <laughs> like all I knew about Ted Bundy was that he was the good-looking serial killer. <laughs> so it's the, um, the the Ted Bundy tapes. These are actual tapes of his interview with a news reporter after he'd been in prison for a while, talking about his inner life, you know, and what compelled him to murder. And they were fascinating. It was like four episodes or five, maybe six. I don't remember. I was only planning on watching one. I binge watched this thing. But <laughs> every oh. episode. Yes, by myself. Every freaking episode. And Tracy, I came away from this documentary feeling sorry for Ted Bundy. Okay. (laughs) And I'll tell you why. Wow. 
Yeah, I'll tell you why. Not because, oh, he's really a good guy. It was because (laughs) it was things that other people were saying about him that resonated with me because the people who knew him, you know, his, his outer persona were all like, oh, gosh, you know, we just... We don't know what happened to Ted. He had so much potential. Ted was so smart and Ted had a bright future and Ted could have been anything he wanted. It's just he kept getting in his own way. And I was like, me too. And And he came from a good family too, right? It wasn't like he had all this trauma and... He came from an okay family. They believe he might have been a product of incest though Um, because there are a lot of secrets in his family. And not things that weren't his fault. You know, that, that part wasn't his fault, obviously. <laughs> and then he talks about himself saying how, I just want to do the right thing. I want to be normal. I want to be like everyone else. But then he's like, I'm with a date and I just, I, I, with a girl and I, I, and I can't help myself. It's like, I, I'm just keep like, it's a compulsion. I just keep doing the things that I know I'm not supposed to do but I can't stop myself and I have that compulsion too like some sort of obsessive part of my personality where it's like oh I shouldn't be doing this but let's see where it goes (laughs) (laughs) and that was the part that was resonating with me and just everybody else kept saying he had so much potential and I kept going over and over in my head he had so much potential and I kept saying Stacey had so much potential and I was like wow man I wonder what was wrong with Ted Bundy I was obsessed with Ted Bundy. Like I felt sorry, obviously, for the families and the victims. Like that part, I was separating. But it was like, could he have been helped with some medication or something? Like I am trying to diagnose Ted Bundy, like all night. Like, oh, I wonder what Ted Bundy had. <laughs> it's clear he had some sort of inner thing that he had no control over and that was resonating with me and so I started like Ted Bundy could you have been helped with medication and that started me down a rabbit hole that a few hours later I literally was obsessed with this Tracy I could not stop myself I landed on the diagnosis page on the Chad website the children and adults with hyper attention to hyperactivity disorder the diagnosis not like oh here's the website homepage and Mm -hmm. Then click, 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 click. It was like Ted Bundy diagnosis page. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> this was Ted Bundy like, is an ADHD, right? Um, they believe he might have had it. That, that's how I ended up on this, in this rabbit hole. Like they believe he had a lot of stuff right. and ADHD was one of the things. And so I'm like, huh, what was that? And I started reading like, you know, all the questions. Do you do this? Are you impulsive? Are you, you know, like all the, all the questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's me. Oh yeah, that's me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What? That's me. That's me too. Oh my God, that's me. You know, <laughs> I just kept reading down the list. And if there were 28 boxes, I checked 27 of them. And by the time I got to the end of this, I just hot tears were rolling down my face. And I was just like, oh my God, this is it. This this is what I have. Wait, did you remember 20 years ago I was diagnosed with this? Well, I still hadn't like, it hadn't even like connected yet. I'm thinking I'm discovering something new about myself. Oh my God, this is me. Oh, and I just literally was like, thank you, God. Thank you. Because I'm like, this was an answer. This prayer I made just like 24 hours earlier, right? So now I'm researching ADHD and I'm just like, oh my God, it's so me. And now I'm obsessed. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was 
like, I was like, I was researching somebody else. Like it hadn't even clicked that I already had a diagnosis yet. So my next session with my therapist, I'm so excited. I'm like, listen, I pretty much am sure that I have ADHD. And she was just like, and she's not an ADHD like specialist at all. And she goes, hmm. What makes you think that? <laughs> so I was telling her the whole Ted Bundy thing, and she's looking more perplexed. But keep more, I keep talking and chat, blah, 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 and then chat, and then all, uh, and then I was just like, "It's me." And she goes, "I don't know. Very few people are actually diagnosed as adults." And I'm like, "That's not true." According to Chad, blah 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 blah. Oh my. And so while I'm sitting there, I had a flashback of sitting in front of my Patty Duke looking psychiatrist from 1995. And I was like, hold my horses. I have already been diagnosed. And she's like, she's like what? When, what are you talking about? And then I told her the whole story and she's like, like she was getting whiplash. And I was, she was like, oh, okay. She's like, I'm not an ADHD specialist. I'm going to have to read up some more on this. But if you're, if you're certain that your memory is correct, then okay, let's go. <laughs> and so I was just like, hallelujah, I have ADHD. And I was so happy. Oh my God. Oh my God. I know what I have. I know what I have. And I just, just like every, every conversation with strangers. 20 years ago, you completely rejected it and didn't want anything to do with it. Didn't even want to research it. Versus 20 years later, you're like obsessed. Yeah, excited. completely obsessed. Completely. I, I, yes, so excited. It would just come up in like casual conversations like at Starbucks. Like, hey, what's up? Hi, my name is Stacy. I have ADHD. <laughs> it was like so annoying to people. People would be like, oh, okay. And my therapist was like, maybe you shouldn't lead with that. <laughs> and I'm like, why do people get freaked out when I say I have ADHD? And she's like, mm. I mean, would you people tell people you have cancer after just meeting them? And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and she wasn't comparing cancer to ADHD. She was just like, you know, maybe people just aren't ready to hear about your, you know, <laughs> your conditions. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So that put me like full blown obsessed about it that has not been tempered to this day. Wow. Okay. So once you really got it, and you saw what the symptoms actually were, were you able to recognize these in your, for example, your childhood? Like, did you see them throughout your life? Yeah. Oh, let me tell you, one of the most cathartic things for me is that I had felt like such a mystery to myself for so long, Tracy, like my whole adult life. I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm trying to put together a puzzle that is me and I've got all these pieces and I don't know where these pieces go, you know? We <laughs> relate to this, what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, I know I've got, I think I've got all the pieces of the puzzle. I just don't know where they go or maybe I'm missing puzzle piece. I have no idea. I've been such a mystery to myself and getting this diagnosis and reading about it just really brought everything into crystal clarity for me. And that was so cathartic. It was like, oh my God. God just handed me the answer to this riddle. <laughs> that is me, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, looking back, knowing what I know now about ADHD, I was quiet and compliant as a child. No way. Uh, really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. 
but I would blurt things out that would embarrass my mom. My, my grandmother raised me, my grandmother and my grandfather, they adopted me when I was still a toddler and they raised me. Like I've been with them since the day I was born. And so they come from the generation where children are seen and not heard, you know, but I know that I would embarrass the heck out of them. So I remember one of our neighbors had a bathroom that wasn't very clean (laughs) and we would go over there sometimes. And I remember this one time I was really young. I couldn't have been more than four or five. I don't remember this. My mom tells me I said this, but I do remember their bath, their toilet being really nasty. And she says that I go into the bathroom and I just yell out, oh, but it's nasty. (laughs) And she's like, and I was so embarrassed. (laughs) You were telling the truth. Yeah. And apparently I've done those things. Like, even though I'd be really quiet. And then when I did speak, it was just like, I would just embarrass everybody. (laughs) But I was, yeah, I was very quiet and, com- and compliant, but I was an early reader. I've been reading since I was about two, and I have very clear memories of this. I started reading around age two. I was spelling very early. From what I understand, that might be one of the, in the spectrum of ADHD. I know it's called hyperlexia. Huh. Yeah, hyper, I just learned this actually from my, my, yeah, it's called hyperlexia, and I learned this from my co-working group because one of the women in our co-working group, her child was an early reader and her doctor explained to her that it's part of the ADHD spectrum. Like it's very common. It's more more common in ADHD brains than non, Hmm. non non-ADHD brains. So yeah, it's called hyperlexia. When you learn how to read very, very early, you're able to like just sit down and just read a Tom and, you know, Dick and Jane book or whatever, but you don't really understand what you're reading, but you can read. Like your brain has already formed the ability to, you know, to, to identify the words and the sounds and put them all together and you read. And everybody thinks you're a genius. Like, oh my God, she's reading it too. <laughs> she's reading the New York Times and she's always like me. <laughs> and uh, I remember being able to spell really early. My first word I could spell was Frigidaire. <laughs> I'm not joking. I was like, God, I don't even know how old I was. I was super young. We had a Frigidaire refrigerator. <laughs> And that's how you knew, yeah, how to spell it. Yeah. And yeah, so it had each of the letters spelled out. And I would always like, I would look up at it and I would just like F-R-I-G. And then eventually I like memorize F-R-I-G-I-D-A-I-R-E. And my mom heard me say this and she had company over. She was like, oh, ooh, come in here. Come in here and show them what you can do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, circus animal, F-R-I-G-I-D-A-I-R-E. So her friends thought I was a genius. Ooh, she's going to be somebody. <laughs> what about in school? Did you struggle with school or no? Um, I struggled with all the math and sciences. Mm-hmm. I was I was most, well, I would say what came effortless to me was obviously English and literature and reading and grammar. And like, I've always been a stickler for grammar and sentence structure. Like, that's just like, oh, 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 you're hurting my ears. Oh, you put a preposition at the end of the sentence. Ah. <laughs> like, I have always been that way. But I feel like my personality was a little stunted. A, because I was teased and bullied a lot as a kid. I was born with a lazy eye and the lazy eye wasn't corrected until I was 13, like surgically corrected. They were trying to correct it with like lenses and therapy and stuff before then. And I was just teased relentlessly every day at school from kindergarten until, well, preschool really, because... 
my whole life, Tracy, I thought I had to repeat kindergarten. So I'm like, wait, what? I was reading when I was two. Why'd I have to repeat kindergarten? Turns out I was actually in preschool and then had to go to kindergarten. So I was, I had a chip on my shoulder for a long time. <laughs> that people who were in the preschool, it was a combined preschool kindergarten. So there were kids who were like a year older than I who went on to first grade. And I didn't. And my, I remember my mom trying to enroll me in first grade, but there's that late birthday thing yeah. and they wouldn't let me enroll. And so I remember being there and I was thinking, hey, tell them, tell them I can read. Tell them I can read. I didn't say anything. I didn't speak up because, you know, child, so I have to be quiet. So I had to go and do kindergarten somewhere else. So my whole life, I'm like, I've been held back. I was held back. Turns out it was a birthday thing and I was actually in preschool, but they were trying to enroll me early because I was an early reader and my little raggedy ass school system was like, no. <laughs> uh, okay. So tell me what has changed since you were diagnosed? Oh, can I, do we have time for me to finish how I observed in my mind about my childhood? Because I got stuck on the hyperlexia. I'm so sorry. Absolutely. Can, can, you may, yeah, yeah whenever you talk oh, about it, we talk okay. about it. Yes. I don't, thank you. I'm so sorry. Aside from being an early reader, and I promised myself I wouldn't get off on tangents because I do that. So I'm sorry. Let me bring it back. It was the early reading. It was the, always had this belief in myself, Tracy. I think this resilience I've always had that, I was going to be somebody that was, that I was different. I always felt different. I always felt, I hate to say this. I always felt better than everybody else. (laughs) And I I didn't grow up, you know, privileged at all. I mean, you know, I grew up in the country in Alabama and we were on a fixed income. That's all I heard. We're on a fixed income. We can't afford that fixed income. (laughs) But I always felt like I was like somehow. Special. You were special. Yeah, special. Exactly. I can relate to that. Yeah. And I felt that way since I can remember. And then with the add on the teasing and the bullying, I just kind of kept my head down, tried to stay off the radar of the bullies, you know, but the teasing, that was always a thing. And I just kind of went more inside of myself. And just by seventh grade, it was like the bu- the, the bullying stopped. The teasing stopped because I, I just had the surgery. But that trauma was already there. And I was just kind of like, I'm better than you people. (laughs) I can't wait to shake the dust of this little town off my shoes and get out of here. So I just started just like, I, I don't know. I just started in my mind. I'm, I'm leaving this place when I'm done, you know, I'm leaving this place and I'm going to go be famous or whatever. (laughs) I didn't know what that was going to look like when I was younger, like seven or eight. I thought I'd be like, um, a supermodel. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I really did. I was like, oh, I was going to be the Virginia Slims lady in the ads because they always looked so independent and happy and carefree, you know, or I watched a lot of TV, by the way. (laughs) I could act out every commercial from the 70s and 80s. I'm like, oh, I want to be the Excedrin lady. I want to be the Tic Tac lady. Like that was my dream to be a supermodel or to be a commercial actor, to be a commercial spokesperson. (laughs) I'm sitting that I still do actually. Um, <laughs> and so in my teens, I became, I found I was very ambitious and industrious. And like I said, the teasing with my lazy eye had stopped, but I would walk into a room still. If there were people like laughing to themselves, I assumed they were laughing at me, you know? So that kept me from being, I guess my, my personality was still kind of suppressed because of that. 
And I, it took me a long time to get over that, by the way. Like, up until, like, yesterday, I'd walk in a room and people were laughing. And I'm like, oh, they're laughing at me. <laughs> I mean, and that, that stuck around for a long time. But I was very driven. I was so driven, Tracy. Like, driven to the point of I could have self-destructed. And I'll give you an example. My strongest classes have always been literature, like I said, and reading, writing, and grammar. I made straight A's in those classes. And then you'd get to B's and C's and the social sciences, you know, the social studies and all that. And then you get to the F's and they were always D's, <laughs> low C's or D's. And I think that was just mercy grading, you know? <laughs> and so around my junior year of high school, somehow I became aware that there were two diploma tracks at my high school. There was the advanced diploma track and the regular diploma track. And I was like, what? Why didn't I know about this? Because <laughs> I would notice in my English classes, I was always in class with the smart kids. And that made me feel really good. Like that had like boosted my self-esteem. But in my math classes, I'd be with all the dummies, you know, like people, you know, who are just like, mm, yeah, they rode the short bus here. I don't mean to like be <laughs> insensitive or offensive. And it might be you can cut that out. <laughs> but, you know, you know, well, amongst- that wasn't their thing. Say exactly. You know, I mean, I've been going to school with these people since first grade. So you know who excels well and who just like, yeah, they'll be lucky if they graduate. <laughs> so my math classes, I was with those people. And so I I just got this idea in my head that I want to, I want to graduate on the advanced diploma. I don't want to be regular. I want to be advanced. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went to my guidance counselor in my junior year and I said, I want to switch over to the advanced diploma because I knew I was on the regular diploma because it said so on my report card. And she's like, "Mm, the advanced diploma for people who are on the advanced track. (laughs) People who are like, you know, have B averages or above. And she's like, your math classes are preventing you from being on the advanced diploma. And I'm like, well, I want to switch over. I want to graduate on the advanced diploma. I was very adamant about this. And she's like, do you know what you have to do to be on the advanced diploma? And I was like, no. (laughs) <laughs> tell me <laughs> she's like you will have to double up on two very hard math classes your senior year and pass both of them and she's like and looking at your 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 history with math she's like i don't think you can do it and she wasn't being mean she was just being straightforward i don't think you can do it and she's like and if you flunk even one of those you won't graduate and i was like i think i can do it and she's like and we went back and forth i'm like oh i can do it i can do it i'll get a tutor i'll do it we'll do it and she's like if your math teacher sign off on it i'll sign off on it so i went to see my math teacher who taught one of those classes that next year, and we're talking like geometry and trig or something like this, or algebra two and geometry or something. <laughs> and so he looked at me like I had three heads. Uh, he's like, I can't sign off on this. And I'm like, well, why not? And he's like, because you won't graduate. And I'm like, yes, I will. And he's like, I'm looking at your history in my classes. And he's like, I don't, he's like, I'm not trying to hold you back and discourage you. He's like, but I really don't think you are going to be able to pass, pass these classes like both of them at the same time. I'm like, I can do it. And he's like, well, okay. If my wife says that you, if she approves then I'll approve his wife taught the other class. Right. So then I go to Mrs. Malone and she's like, um, I don't think that's a very good idea. And I did the whole speech again. And she goes, well, if Mr. Malone signs off on it, I'll sign off on it. (laughs) So I had to do this round Robin. So I said, Mr. Malone says, if you sign off on it, he'll sign off on it. And she's like, let me talk to him. So next day, everybody signs off on it. Now I'm on the advanced diploma. I was so happy. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm the advanced. And then I had to do the work. Yeah, right? but now you get to prove to them it's a challenge, right? You get to prove to them you can. Yes. 
Yes. So over the summer, I talked to a girl at my church and she's like a math genius. She went to the smart high school in my hometown and (laughs) she went to the good public school. She tutored me all summer in geometry and trig. And this is on top of me being in marching band, going to band camp on top of me now having more responsibility because I become head majorette over our majorette line. And when I started my senior year, I was so much more prepared than I would have been. And Tracy, I aced those two math classes with D. (laughs) (laughs) And D, D's were good enough. That's all I needed. (laughs) And my, I've never seen teachers so happy to give me D's before. (laughs) I mean, for all I know, I could have like actually failed one of them and they might have just went, well, go ahead and give her a name. <laughs> right <laughs> on a curve. <laughs> and let me tell you how good it felt, Tracy. There were 15 students on the, ad- the advanced track and I graduated 13th, <laughs> 15. And we were like in our own section at the front of the auditorium on graduation day. And I turn around and I see the sea of kids behind me who were on the regular diploma. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a fabulous story. I love it. Yeah. I mean, looking back now, I'm like, man, that was ballsy of me. Like, I literally could have failed my senior year. But I graduated 13th of 15th of the smart kids. <laughs> I'm like, there were two people who did worse than I did. <laughs> and they didn't do it last minute the way you did it. But it showed you, Stacy, what you were capable of when you actually had an interest in care, right? Yeah. And I had no interest in math, but I wanted to be on that advanced exactly. diploma. I'm like, I, I'm not going to graduate being regular. <laughs> and then, And let me tell you what, I'm sure it affected my GPA. I'm sure I would have had a much better GPA had I not done that because I wouldn't have had to take those two math courses, but I didn't care. I didn't, like, I wasn't thinking about that. I had already been accepted to the University of Alabama anyway. I think they had open admissions at the time. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I was good. I was really good, but that saved me from having to take like makeup math classes my freshman year in college. So absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so I want to make sure that we talk about ADHD is the new black. Yes. Absolutely. So why did you start that? What made you do this? After I remembered my diagnosis two years ago and just started learning about ADHD and just felt this sense of relief almost, I was like, I've been fumbling around in the dark for 20 years and didn't have to. And maybe it was supposed to be that way for me. But I am sure there are so many other women who are either ignoring a diagnosis or wondering what's wrong with me. And I just felt like it was my duty to warn women that you do not have to waste 20 of the best years of your youth, you know, self-sabotaging, you know, failing at things that you think you should be good at or having failed relationships. Like if it's ADHD good God, get treated for it. And I started the channel as a way to express my comedy. Not, And that's not the first priority, but the first priority was I want to save Black women and women of color the heartache and just the challenges and just life doesn't have to be so hard. And my life has been very hard with ADHD for the last 20 years. And I'm like, if I can just help one person 
not have to go through the same obstacles that I did because they've taken their diagnosis seriously, it would have been worth it for me. Well, what I say all the time is the best purposes are those that give meaning to our past. And you basically just said that right there. So how do you think ADHD is different when you're a woman of color? Oh, my. Oh, that's a big question. I'd say there's the shame factor. And I know it's a shame is a big thing with ADHD years anyway. Mm -hmm. But I would say for women of color and especially African-American women, it is very difficult for us to talk about our mental health as a culture traditionally because we live in a society where we have to be it like just practically perfect to be considered okay <laughs> when compared to white women or white people. You know what I'm saying? Like the Obamas, that's a perfect example, right? Literally perfection. And still, yes. that's not enough. Exactly. And then to see what came after him, and it's like, if Obama had committed even a half of an offense that Trump did, he would have been like drawn and quartered, you know? He would have been impeached immediately, and they would have succeeded. So it's the shame factor. It's the feeling isolated in your challenges and feeling like, well, if I bring this up with my family, they won't understand. I know with me, when I was in therapy, like just for my depression, I had mentioned it to some older people in my family and they were like, oh, well, God is my therapist. You know, just, just pray it away. Just pray about it. Just pray about it. And I do, but sometimes you need intervention, earthly intervention, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> and sometimes God's like, you need to go see a therapist. Um, and that's, it's hard because I know for me going into the workplace and that's when it started showing up for me. My symptoms didn't become apparent until after I graduated college. Looking back, I know the symptoms were there, but there was enough structure in my life for those five years in college. And the fact that I spent five years in college, I know that's not a big deal now, but then it was like, I was supposed to be on the four-year plan, but oh, it was ADHD. <laughs> and you're actually quite good for us, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know looking back now, I struggled with just being able to do homework, to stay focused on stuff and to really organize my, my thoughts or even just like getting around to my assignments in a timely manner. I'd save everything to the last minute. I did that in high school too. So yeah, but when you enter the workplace, you know, you have all these hopes and dreams about how it's going to be. And then if you have undiagnosed ADHD and things start running off the rails because you have an inattention to details or you don't listen well in meetings or you don't catch things that people say the first time, you know, it really starts affecting your self-esteem. And instead of, you know, then you have to start putting on this armor, this like thick armor around yourself so that people don't figure out who you really are. You know, it's like, well, I, I have to make people think that I'm still perfect. So you lose yourself because now you've built up so many defenses on the outside so that people can't see behind the armor and see that you're kind of a mess on the inside. And that's very hard for, that's especially hard for black women because 
you know, we do a lot of code switching anyway. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you're one way with your family, but then you go into the workplace and now you have to, you know, speak in a certain manner. You can't be, you know, too ghetto or too black or too this or that. And then you've got the ADHD challenges and you, just, you can't let them know that you've got those challenges, whether you know you have ADHD or not, you know? So you're always like looking over your shoulder. You're always hiding things and it's, it's devastating. It is devastating. And you get judged differently as a black woman than a white woman would. You know, like I could have and probably did have the exact same issues that some of my white coworkers did, but I didn't hear their names being shouted across the newsroom. You know, <laughs> I didn't see them getting punished so harshly. You know, it's like they give you more of a pass when you're something other than a black person. You know, it's like they expect the black person to come in and like, you know, be perfect. And then the least little thing you do is like, oh, oh. <laughs> so yeah, it's that. It's the hiding and the code switching and the, you know, meeting down to their expectations. Cause I believe a lot of people, especially when I came in, this is the nineties, you know, there's still affirmative action programs and I'm not going to lie. I know I got into my first job because affirmative action, but then if I like, you know, the mistakes I made, they were probably, well, she's only here cause she's black, you know? <laughs> So, yeah. So you think that armor that we all wear, that armor of shame, it's a lot worse when you're black, you're a woman of color, just culturally, too, among people that are, you know, your family and friends. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, I mean, your family already has a fixed idea about who you are, you know? And I just know that... And this is nothing against my family because they've all had very high expectations of me. One of my cousins told me, oh, you were the golden child. You were the one who was going to like make it big. You were going to be the next Oprah. You know, you were going to be this and you were going to be that. And it's like, I feel like I flunked out before I got to those <laughs> the, the things that they thought I was going to be, that I thought I was going to be too, you know? So then you feel like a super failure, not just a failure, but a super failure because, you know, it's like, well, why don't you? why don't you go back in the news? You know, they're always asking you, why don't you go back and did what you used to do? And you don't want to be like, cause that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was easy, but it was also very hard. And the stuff that was hard keeps me from wanting to do that kind of work again, because it's not my wheelhouse, you know? Totally. And they don't, they don't understand. They All they see is, well, you used to do this and then we thought you were going to do this and that. And they don't understand, you know, and it's like you're trying to live up to their ideas and your own ideas and your employer's ideas. And it's just, that's a lot of ideas to carry around on your shoulders. <laughs> and the good news is those of us with ADHD, we're late bloomers. Yeah. See so many ADHD women that when they really start to bang it out and figure out, okay, this is my wheelhouse, they're in their 50s. Yeah, I feel like I'm there too. I, I definitely am a late bloomer. And let me tell you what, I've always been a late bloomer. I'm like late to the party. I'm early with a whole lot of stuff yeah. and I'm late with everything. Yeah. <laughs> An early adopter when it comes to anything like technology or what's new or... <laughs> Yes, yeah. yes. And like, and people assume that I'm like at least 10 years younger than I actually am because That's, I have a lot of energy. I'm yeah. so, 
<laughs> yeah, like I guess I've been all that energy I had that I was keeping bottled up when I was a little girl. I guess I just all came out when I got when I left news actually because when I was still in news, I was still like keeping it like you know under control. Like, oh, it can't be too chatty, can't be too this, I can't, too can't tell. Yep, exactly. So yeah, impulsivity—that's a huge challenge for me. Boy, it's it's exhausting trying to keep all that bottled up. <laughs> I gotta tell you though, Stacy. Oh my gosh, your videos are—you know—on um, ADHD is the new black. They are so funny, and I just look at them. See, that is not my wheelhouse. The fact that you can edit all those videos—how long does that take? It just. It's so good, and it just looks like it's way too much work. Oh, it is. <laughs> it definitely is. The well, okay, the the research in itself, that's a good day of work. And all the episodes are from what I've actually experienced in my life. You know, like, I'm not... I'm, I'm not like taking these experiences from random articles or whatever. I'm taking what I've experienced in my ADHD... And putting it out there, like, these are my problems. And if you can relate, gosh, I hope this helps you, you know, and here's, here's, here's some tools if I can give you some. Um, So yeah, but I want to back it up with science too, you know, (laughs) so I do research on it. And then, God, there's the writing, the writing part can take a long time because I will just go off on 10 tangents while I'm writing, you know, and then I'll go back and look and I'm like, these ideas are not connected at all. (laughs) And then there's a lot of editing, a lot of things that I have to like put away for another episode. Like what I just brought up a whole other topic and it's like, it just, it's the editing of my writing that takes a long time because my thoughts are so nonlinear. No, (laughs) really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you imagine that? <laughs> so imagine me trying to write papers when I was in college. Like yeah. I'd start in, I'd start in California, end up in Oklahoma. And then the shooting part is the most fun part. Like, well, not the setting up the shoot, that part sucks, but actually turning on the camera and just getting to have fun with it. That part is the joyful part for me. And then the editing part, I actually do enjoy it is laborious. <laughs> There's some parts of it that are just, man, this sucks because it's so tedious, but I do enjoy it. And it takes longer than I would like for it to take just to do an episode. Like it's been three months that I put, since I put out the other one and I'm about to release my next one like today or tomorrow, but it takes a long time and it's just me doing it all. And if I can get my YouTube channel monetized, you know, like get enough mm-hmm. watch hours to where now you know, I can earn money from it, from partnering up with, you know, people who are in alignment with what I want my channel to be, then I can maybe hire some help. But right now I I am not in that position. And that's okay because none of the YouTubers who are really successful started out with help. (laughs) It was just all of them, you know? Exactly. They're so good though. I mean, they really, and they're just funny. And they're also strength focused in terms of you make fun of things, but it's funny. So it's kind of like, oh, well, that might be a weakness, but you know, you, you point out the strengths as well, right? The, the corresponding strengths to those weaknesses. Yeah. You know why, Tracy? Because I spent so much of my life beating myself up and hating myself for things that I thought were failures that were actually my ADHD symptoms, you know? 
And getting my or remembering my diagnosis just gave me permission to say, you know what? I am okay. (laughs) Those weren't mistakes. That was just how my brain, that's how my brain works. And so just the catharsis of being able to forgive myself for all of my perceived past, you know, failures, that that happened instantaneously. There was no mourning of, oh, what if I had remembered this earlier? What if I'd started treating myself in my 20s? I, I skipped right over that part. <laughs> it was just like, oh my gosh, I am normal for me. I am normal for ADHD. And it helped finding a community of ADHD women. Yeah you know, and realizing that, oh, that's not just me. And let me tell you, the most healing part of this has been my relationship with my biological mother, because she and I have always had a difficult relationship. She didn't raise me. And it took me a long time for my head and my heart to to get on the same page about what happened with that. You know, like my intellectually, I've always known her reasons for it. Emotionally, I've had a lot of abandonment issues, right? And I did not know or even consider until two years ago when I remembered my diagnosis that her, she has ADHD too. She, she has like almost the identical symptoms to me, or I have identical symptoms to her and everything about her that drove me nuts about her, that would push my buttons. That would make me so explosively angry with her were things about me that I was hating. And I didn't even realize that, Tracy. I didn't even realize that. And then when I put into focus her condition, her ADHD, with the decisions that led her to, you know, not being able to raise me, just my heart softened so much for her. And we haven't had a single argument since then. And she's been so curious about ADHD. She's been like, she's been like, oh, well, how's the treatment going? What's the medication? Like, she's been so curious for herself now that I've had mine. And my brother, my older brother, who has always had explosive anger issues Uh and extreme hyperactivity, since I started my channel, it's made him look into the possibility that he has ADHD, which anybody who knows him knows he does, because if he doesn't have it, nobody does. (laughs) (laughs) And... He was like, I didn't even think that I should, that this was a thing to talk about until you started your channel. So now he's in treatment for his ADHD. Oh my gosh, I love it. Just that ripple effect, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he went through initial problems with his first psychiatrist because his first psychiatrist was like, well, I read it. ADHD is a is a pediatric condition. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, yo, he... He had to he had to fire that doctor. So and he and at first he was like, Well, my doctor says it doesn't happen in adults. And I said, You go back to that doctor and you tell him he doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> so he got a new doctor and now he's on his medication. Well, I I mean what you're doing, you said you wanted to help one person out there, and clearly <laughs> You've done that in spades. So you must feel really good about the fact that you decided to do this. I am. I am. And at first it started out as like a hobby, but then COVID happened and I lost all of my, you know, employment, my three side hustles, my one main hustle, every bit of it. And I'm like, well, let me treat this like a job now because I didn't have time to work on this channel beforehand. And now I've had nothing but time. And of course I'm beating myself up because I'm like, I should have 50 episodes done by now. 
<laughs> you know, like I've been beating myself up over that, but I'm not sure if I should be. I'm comparing myself to the level of output that Jessica McCabe has of how to ADHD. And she's been a wonderful mentor, by the way. Oh, lovely. Yes. But then I'm like, well, she, her husband. So each one of those episodes takes 80 hours. Mine too. And oh. I've yet to. But like, her husband does so much of it for her, right? All the editing and shooting. Yeah. That's but she told me when she, when she first started her channel, it was all hers and it was all her responsibility. And she had a full-time job and she'd be up all night work. And so she made me feel better about where I am at this stage with my YouTube channel. She's like, it's totally normal. So Absolutely. And especially given everything that's going on right now, I just think we have to generally give ourselves more grace, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Oh, self-forgiveness. That's just self-compassion. Okay. Self-compassion. Absolutely. Radical self-acceptance. Yep. Okay. So what are the ADHD traits, Stacey, that you feel are responsible for your successes? Oh my God. Resilience. Industriousness. Gosh, am I pronouncing this right? Industrious. You know what word I'm trying to say, right? Is that a word? Industrious. I don't know. <laughs> Industriousness. <laughs> and almost delusional belief in myself. Not <laughs> creativity, because you're clearly so friggin' creative. Thank you. I appreciate that. Just, I never stop. Like I have the inability to stop when I've got my mind set on something. So hyper-focused for sure. Hyper-focused. Let's see. Oh, um, impulsivity. And it's also not been a good trait of mine, but it's also been a good trait of mine because. Right. Say again. You're fearless. That's what my aunt's. One of my aunts said to me, she goes, you're so brave. <laughs> when I moved to New York City and with knowing no one, having no job, having $3,000 in my pocket, thinking I was rich. <laughs> I'm rich. Oh, I'm going to New York. I'm going to buy a condo. You know, like <laughs> just all of this. Like, uh. And then 9-11 happened two weeks later after I moved oh. there. And then the, the things that I did to survive just to like survive because there were no jobs. There were like nothing that I came there to do existed in for the next two years. And so, I mean, like I had a box full of recycled batteries that I had gotten from my previous employer, fully charged, just recycled. And I sold those on the subway for like a dollar a piece just to like have, you know, money to eat, you know? And I remember walking into the lobby of where I was staying at the time, I was staying at this hotel for women, like on Bosom Buddies. <laughs> it was awesome. My friend called it the hotel for wayward girls, but it was run by the United Way. Aww. It was reasonably, no, it wasn't. It wasn't that affordable. It was reasonably affordable, but you had your own little room and they served you breakfast and dinner. And it was all women. It was great. And the lady who manned the desk, she, I told her what I had been up to that day, selling batteries on the subway. And she goes, you're a survivor. And I'm like, yeah. 
<laughs> like I never thought about that. And so one of my aunts was like, you're so brave just to, to move to New York by yourself. And you moved across the country by yourself. And, and just to be there after 9-11, you're so brave. And I'm like, I'm doing what I do. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, the impulsivity definitely has given me license, I guess, to just do stuff without thinking about it <laughs> too much, you know, pack for adventure when you're with me. Okay. So then my last question is, what is your number one ADHD workaround? Oh, okay. This is one of my persistent challenges that I have not mastered yet. I still run late for everything. Okay. Mm. And that's so stressful for me. And I'm like, I do not have to be the stressed out all the time. So what I've started doing even before I remembered my diagnosis is if you told me our interview was at 1030, I remember I was like, uh, what time was our interview? <laughs> I think I just wrote down the wrong time altogether. But if you tell me, yeah, our interview is at 1030, I will write down 930 and then forget that I did that. And so then it'll be 945, 10 o'clock. Oh my God, I'm so late. Ah! And then you'll be like, no, you're early. Oh, thank God. I tricked myself again. <laughs> so setting my actual appointment times an hour earlier and then trusting that that's the actual appointment time and then just forgetting about it. Like, don't question it, Stacey. Don't question it. <laughs> and then I'm always late for the fake time, but on time for the real time. <laughs> oh my gosh. So where do you get hung up? Is it getting ready in the morning or is it getting started to get out the door? Where do you get oh, tripped up? Wow. Um, for some reason, I'll be on, like I've set my timer to five minutes. I do a five minute shower and then it's that time from the shower to getting out the door. Like I spend way too much time gazing at my image in the mirror. Oh, okay. Do I have a, do a hair on my chin? Oh, let me pluck that up. <laughs> like, oh, my pores are looking a little large today. Oh, I just spend way too much. My dad used to tell me that when I was growing up, he would just come in. He would just be like, you scrub your face so much, you're going to scrub the skin off. Like, you just, all you do is stare at yourself in the mirror. Like, <laughs> so maybe what you need is a timer on the mirror that keeps reminding you, you oh. know, what time it is. Oh, I try that. That doesn't work. <laughs> like, oh, that means I got 10 more minutes. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I get hung up in the mirror and it, it just like, am I visiting? So maybe you need to get rid of the mirror. Then what, how am I going to like, you know, <laughs> do my makeup and stuff? Handheld mirrors, right? To do your makeup. Uh-huh. Fun to look into where you can only kind of see your eye and then you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I get, it's like, I didn't mirror. I, I know. And then I misjudge how long everything takes too. like, oh, it only takes me a minute to brush my teeth. It probably takes me a good three or four minutes to brush my teeth because then I have to floss too, you know? And then it's like, ooh, what was that? Now I'm inspecting what I just flossed out of my teeth. Like, oh, what was that? Oh, no. Stacy, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? Yes. So I have this YouTube channel called ADHD is the New Black, and I've been uploading vlogs to keep content coming, but my next episode is actually a several parter, and it's taking me so long to put this one out because I had enough content for three or four episodes. 
So episode 5.1 is going to be released. When is this interview going to be released, by the way, Tracy? It is going to be released on right before Christmas, December 23rd. Oh, well, by December 23rd, I'll be, this will be released. <laughs> and hopefully there'll be two or more by then. But, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to fool myself like I always do. So yes, episode 5.1 that I hope to release today or tomorrow. It's about social skills. It's about the challenges of social skills with those of us with ADHD. And 5.1 specifically is just about those awkward moments and why we have them. Like all of my episodes, I start them off with, you know, quick sketches, highlighting the issue of that episode. And let me tell you, every sketch is an actual incident that happened to me. There's no exaggeration. <laughs> it is almost like detail per detail of the awkward things that have happened to me in my ADHD life. So so where can they find that? And I'll have that in the show notes too. Sure thing. On YouTube, if you just type in ADHD is the new black, or if you can't remember that, just look for Stacy Michelle. That's M-A-C-H-E-L-L-E. And Stacy's with an E-Y. Oh, screw that. That's too hard to remember. ADHD is the new black. <laughs> I will definitely have that in the show notes. Stacy, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. That was super fun. Oh, Tracy, thank you. I could talk to you all day. Oh, my goodness. I know. We, we really could, huh? Okay. Yeah. So that's what I have for you this week. If you like this episode with Stacy, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women, especially women of color, as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help in that regard. And don't forget, if you want to join us and finally be able to use a planner, you can find out more information on AOK Every Day at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash unplanner. Thank you so much for listening. Whether you're celebrating Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Christmas, anything, have a wonderful holiday and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smart Ass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smart Ass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smart-ass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week. <laughs>